You are listening to the Fantasy Alarm Fantasy Football Podcast with John Pemba and Andrew Cooper. What's going on, everybody? John and Pemby here with Andrew Cooper bringing you another Fantasy Alarm Fantasy Football Podcast here. Coop! We are days away from the start of the Scott Fishbowl, an event that I know you and I are very eager to get going. We've been a part of it for the last few years. It's a great opportunity to connect with, you know, other industry folks and fans alike as well. You, of course, have a great story coming out of Scott Fishbowl, what you've done with your Fantasy Besties podcast and, and sort of the group that you've come up be a part of through that. So it's exciting to get to talk about what's coming up and some strategies maybe in league formats like the Scott Fishbowl. Yeah, man, things are finally heating up for fantasy football. I mean, it's heating up in general. It's scorching hot here in Boston. I'm going to be in Portland tomorrow where it's like 115 degrees. So to say it couldn't be hotter for fantasy football and me me myself would be an understatement, right? <laughs> yes. It's, it, uh, thankfully, it's going to rain here in Massachusetts over the next couple of days, and, and hopefully we'll cool everything off leading into 4th of July. Uh, Sunday's supposed to be pretty nice. I'll be at the beach, but you'll be in uh, yeah, what has basically become the, uh, the desert, it seems like, out in Seattle and Portland. Uh, you know, temperatures up over 100 degrees, which is not common for those areas. I said, no. I, we were talking before we went live, uh, somebody report that like 30% of people in Seattle, downtown Seattle, have AC units. Like They're just not accustomed to this level of heat and obviously that the mass demand now there's ac shortages about in those areas so a pretty wild times right now yeah i mean i don't care where i live my ac ownership for the rest of my life is going to be 100 percent because i just i can't do without it i do not do well in the heat but anyway you know the scott fishbowl to me this is when i think fantasy football kind of starts it's like the unofficial start of the season and to anybody out there like you know if you're listening to our podcast you obviously take fantasy football seriously. For me, when I first started kind of taking it a little more seriously, I would see, you know, all the analysts I like talking about the Scott Fishbowl. I'm like, what is this? So, you know, I, at the time, maybe this was a while back, I didn't have my own, you know, I wasn't in the Scott Fishbowl. I wasn't even really writing, but I, so I was like, you know what, this is cool. I created our own Scott Fishbowl League with friends and stuff. And from there, you know, playing in this format, it kind of changes every year, but playing the format that they're playing, listening to people talk about it, reading the articles and stuff on it, it kind of gets you in tune with the industry and, and some of the people in it. And, you know, it's honestly, you know, if you can get into the satellites or can get into it, it's a good way to, to make some friends. So, I mean, anybody out there is listening. If you're interested in, you know, trying to get into the Scott Fishbowl, trying to get into some of the satellites, uh, obviously you can sign up for those. Or if you just want to kind of create your own league, DM me because I actually, I kind of take the rules of this. We recreate them in Yahoo every year and I do it with my friends from home. So, you know, if you're interested in setting that up with your buddies, shoot me a DM. I'll give you, uh, you know, a little outline on what we're doing. And then that way, you know, you can take info from podcasts like this, all the different people that are talking about it besides us. You know, I know Matt Kelly talks about it. JJ Zacharyson talks about it. You can take that info and kind of, you know, play a fun league with your friends and and see who's kind of plugged into the industry. You know, it, it's a cool thing. It is, it is a cool thing. Now, now, Coop, you obviously did the, you know, secrets to success, basically keys to success article in the uh, Fantasy Alarm Draft Guide to winning the Scott Fishbowl. Uh, for those who are in it this year, you know, talk a little bit about what has changed this year. You know, what are the new aspects, the new rules that have been imp- implemented this year that everybody should at least be aware of? Yeah, well, first, for anyone that's like entirely not familiar, the basics of the Scott Fishbowl are this big tournament, all these analysts in it. There's, you know, over 
think this year it's over 2,000. You know, it's every league is just 12 teams and then there's hundreds of leagues. Each league is a super flex league. So you essentially are starting two quarterbacks. It's tight end premium. So it's half point PPR for everyone except tight ends get full point. There are points for first downs. And this is something that these things all are you know, sticky from last year, they carry over points for first downs for all players. You know, there's for quarterbacks, it's a special scoring where you get really get penalized for interceptions. You really get penalized for interceptions for touchdowns. And you there's a um, an accuracy based component to it where you get points for completions, lose points for incompletions. So Scott kind of wanted to uh, match it up to real football as opposed to fantasy. So in this, you know, this format, we'll talk about that a little bit. It matches up that way. The new wrinkle for match, match job that threw like five straight pick sixes or something like that. Right. (laughs) That's right. Yeah. So in this one, you know, a touch a touchdown is is I think actually in this a touchdown is only four points, you know, but in real life a touchdown is six points. In this format, you lose four points for an interception and you lose an extra two for an interception that goes for a touchdown. So you're you know, just like in real life, if you throw a pick six, it's negative six points. So they're really sticky with that, you know. So and again, last year there were guys like I think Kirk Cousins had a game where he had a bunch of incomplete passes, didn't play particularly well. I think Dalvin Cook ran like four touchdowns in, so he didn't really do a whole lot, but he ended up with negative points on the day. So it can get pretty ugly pretty quick. This year, the new wrinkle is that they were going to there's well, I guess there's two new wrinkles. One is that there are kickers allowed. And it's not that you have to have a mandatory kicker spot, but there's a kicker flex. So there's so many flexes in this league. You're basically starting eleven people every week. Three wide receivers, two running backs, a tight end, a quarterback, a super flex, and then three flexes. So it's a really deep league. And you know, when there's that many players, kickers kind of become viable. The other new thing is the third round reversal. John, if you want to explain to everybody what the third round reversal is. Yeah, so the third round reversal is the first two rounds uh, of the draft go as a regular snake draft. And then the third round actually starts back with the 12th pick picking first. So it basically reverses the draft order from that point moving forward and everything drafts regular from there on out. Definitely a new wrinkle to, you know, where you're drafting, because with the Scott Fishbowl, you can, you know, select where you want to pick in the draft order. You know, generally everybody wants to draft first, you know, hey, you get the first pick and in a normal snake draft, that's fine. If you're drafting first in this format, however, it's going to be a little bit before you before you make your third pick with the third round reversal. I'm actually picking 12th Coop in, in my league. I'm in the uh, Foo Fighters league. Each division, each league is named after a band. So I, I'm in the uh, the Foo Fighters division picking 12. And one of the reasons that I you know put 12 as my spot was because of the third round reversal. So essentially, I'm going to be picking you know back-to-back picks at 12 and 13, and then I'll pick, be picking first again in the third round. So I'll be having you know three picks a lot quicker than I normally generally would. Yeah, I'm, I'm picking 10th for the same for the same reason and you know because you know you get to pick two guys there and then you pick another guy again a round earlier than you would it's a beautiful thing and i think that's you know just another reason why you know getting in tune with the scott fishbowl and kind of checking it out every year doing your own if possible they they try and stay on the cutting edge of what leagues are doing and this whole idea of you know having this third round reversal to try and smooth out the numbers that you know, historically dictate that the guys with the early picks win more leagues, this kind of evens that out a bit. So they're taking those things, implying them in real in real time, and then you can kind of see how it works out. Another thing that they do is for the playoffs, because the playoffs need to start early because it's a tournament and you have teams that are on bye weeks during the playoffs, he actually does a thing where you get your average score 
from the season, you know, your average weekly score plus your score in that week. So it's like there's all these little wrinkles that I've seen a lot of teams doing that he's integrating. And it's something that when you see the Scott Fishbowl doing it, you can say, hey, you know what? That's a new idea. That's kind of cool. Maybe I can implement that in my league come August. So, yeah, you know, that was, just that was a the reason for that. Thing. That was a big thing for me last year because I, I actually had the number one pick in my draft last year. Christian McCaffrey, by week, was the first round of the playoffs. So, like, that was the decision you had to make. Like, do you take Christian McCaffrey when he's going to potentially be on a bye? Or do you, you know, are you okay with that, right? And, and, and having to maybe draft somebody else to make sure you have enough depth because of the way the league is set. Yeah, and it was a lot of – it was actually the Panthers and the Buccaneers. So it's like if you – and you could potentially get a bye week in the Scott Fishbowl for that round. So if you started your draft, you could have taken McCaffrey and then gone Mike Evans and Chris Godwin, and basically you're going for broke. If you get that bye week, then you don't have any players that had – you know, your top three players didn't even have a bye week during the season. If you don't get the bye, bye week in fantasy, now you're going into that week with missing a lot of your – your top guys and you know you might think that's crazy but with with over 2,000 people in the league and only one winner you kind of got to do some crazy stuff to win I know I do the lightning round podcast with Kevin Tompkins and Gary Haddow Gary won this in uh, Scott Fishbowl 9 and basically what he did was even though it was tight end premium he didn't take a tight end pretty much at all for the first 12 rounds of the draft i think he went 12 rounds just loading up on quarterback running back wide receiver and then he took four in a row bing, bang, boom, you know, just right down the line. And one of them happened to be Darren Waller. And that's kind of how he was able to, you know, crack the code and do something crazy that really worked out well for him. Because, you know, he he basically was betting that he could hit the lottery on a tight end and just, you know, do every other, do everything else first and then fill out this one last spot. And then he did it and it worked out, you know. So you got to do some crazy stuff if you, if you want to take this tournament down. It's that hard. And this year, another new wrinkle is you can use a kicker as a flex, which is going to be an interesting strategy. I know there's some one of your fantasy bestie podcast mates there. She put up a whole spreadsheet, basically uh, ranking where kickers would be as your, you know, your flex if you wanted to use them in terms of, you know, other receivers or, or later round picks that you could have. Yeah. I mean, Linda's the best at that stuff. She really takes it seriously, which a lot of people aren't, you know, kickers kind of always been kind of a throw in position, but now this kind of just flips it, flips it on its head and, and puts kicker in a spotlight where now you really have to think about how you rank these kickers. Because when you look at some of the stuff that Linda's putting out, check her out on Twitter at L I N D E L L I O N S. Uh, you'll see that. I mean, the top kickers, Young Hoku scored more points than J.K. Dobbins last year. You know what I mean? It's like <laughs> right. these guys, yeah, these guys were no joke. And when you have that many flexes, you're got, you know, you need guys that aren't going to get a zero. So, I mean, that would be my first point, main point of, of emphasis for anyone that wants to do one of these leagues. And if you're looking for a strategy that, you know, has been time tested and it has been tested on both sides, Make sure you have enough viable players. I've been on both sides of this issue before. Last year, the team I drafted, I went a little too crazy. And but what ended up happening was by week five, six, I was starting guys like Ty Johnson. Because going in the draft, I you know thought my team was rock solid. So then I was like, you know what? At the end of the draft, I'm going to take some high upside, low floor guys. You know, I'm drafting Antonio Brown. He ended up playing, but not until halfway through the season. I drafted guys like Lamar Miller, who uh, I was hoping that he would sign with somewhere, get a decent job, didn't end up panning out. Uh, you know, 
few few guys that were, you know, Bryce Love, all these very late picks. But, you know, I'm thinking, why worry about guys that are just going to be okay, you know, middle of the pack guys, like maybe a Cole Beasley, when I want these upside guys? Well, what ended up happening with my team is Christian McCaffrey got hurt. Darius Geis basically is out of the league. Cortland Sutton got hurt. Tyrell Williams got hurt. Devin Funch has opted out. You know, all these things that when you draft in, in July, which is when this draft is, you're not thinking about the added compounding of risk, you know, because by the time we get to August in normal leagues, all this stuff has kind of already happened. You know what I mean? Like Darius Geis wasn't being drafted in normal leagues because he was he was in trouble by July 28th, right? So these are the things that you, you got to factor in when you're talking about a league where you have to start 11 guys. You want to focus on, in the later rounds, getting guys who can just contribute. And that's where the kickers come in versus the guys who are going to leave you high and dry, you know? Yeah, 100%. And I was right there with you last year. My running back situation was an absolute nightmare. I had Christian McCaffrey. I had Ryan Mostert. You know, I had Matt Breida, Carlos Hyde, Philip Lindsay. You know, all these guys. Just nothing, nothing absolutely worked out for me there. Ultimately, ended up having to, you know, drop and stream other running backs as well. It, it was a tough go for me last year when it came to draft strategy. I, I went tight end heavy early. I took Andrews and Waller, you know, in the in the tight end premium. You know, the, those guys were... I invested early draft capital in, but suddenly that just didn't end up playing my way. But Coop, let's let's take a look here. You know, this being a super flex league, why don't we take a look at just some of the common ADPs going around, you know, in, in these super flex formats. And one thing that stuck out to me is some of the recent ADPs that I'm seeing is that quarterbacks, of course, we know they get a bump, but would you consider taking Patrick Mahomes first overall in a super flex league over someone like a Christian McCaffrey? You know, I would like in this one, I actually do have Patrick Mahomes ranked first, which I, I rarely do. I mean, in dynasty, Patrick Mahomes is a guy that I'll take first in Superflex, and I'll even consider taking first in a startup just because he's that good. He's that young. I mean, in dynasty, I know I'm going off a little bit on this. Think about Peyton Manning. If you could go back and take a, you know, 25 year old Peyton Manning, you would do it all day long. You take him first because you know, you're going to get 10, 15 years out of him. I think that's actually what we're looking at with Patrick Mahomes. So in Dynasty, I actually will consider him in every format as the very first overall pick. And same goes for this, a league where you start two quarterbacks every single week and inaccurate quarterbacks get penalized super hard. It actually, it, it not only changes the uh, dynamic of it, but it, it lowers the pool of elite players. Like in your mind, you probably think, oh, that's kind of cool. But, you know, Derek Carr, he becomes a little more viable because, you know, he's a little more accurate. Teddy Bridgewater, maybe. Like you're thinking about the guys that might get a slight bump, but there are a lot of guys that get a huge penalty that normally could be elite in fantasy. The biggest example would be Jameis Winston a couple of years ago when he threw 33 touchdown passes, 30 picks. I think he set the record with seven pick sixes. In a normal fantasy league, he actually had a great year for you. He was, you know, fantastic. He had a couple of four touchdown games. He threw 30 touchdowns. But, you know, in a normal league, you're only getting minus two for those interceptions. There's no extra penalty for pick sixes. There's no penalty for completion percentage. In this league, Jameis Winston was a nightmare. You know what I mean? He was giving right. you, you know, multiple. He was making you lose matchups outright when he was having negative weeks. So when you can take a guy like Patrick Mahomes, that's incredibly safe you know, high completion percentage, throws touchdowns, runs the football. I mean, it's like, for me, it's a, just an easy pick at one. I mean, what do yeah. you think? Are, are, would you go that way? 
Yeah, I mean, listen, I I agree with you. I think his his completion percentage floor is safer than some of the other guys that are kind of going around him in ADPs. You know, are you trusting the Josh Allens like we've talked about or Kyler Murray's to you know continue their progression forward in in passing game? You know, in being uh, more of a you know accurate passers. You know, that was the biggest knock on Allen going into last year was that he wasn't an accurate passer. Then he goes out and has one of the better seasons throwing the football. You know, so if you're looking at the quarterbacks going after Patrick Mahomes, there's questions there. There's Allen, there's Kyler Murray, Lamar Jackson. We saw Lamar Jackson take that step back last year when it came to throwing the football. So, you know, while it's super flex and those guys are certainly going to outperform some of the other quarterbacks in the category, like you said, the fact that there is those negative points when it comes to completions and interceptions, you certainly have to worry about. It's why someone, you know, last year, you know, people were down on Aaron Rodgers, you know, and if you were taking, if you were getting value on Aaron Rodgers last season, you basically won your league. You know, guy threw 48 touchdowns, completed 70% of his passes, you know, and and he was going in like the eighth round of draft. So, you know, those guys are certainly going to be out there that I would, I would certainly take Mahomes one, but you know, one of the things that I notice often in these super flex leagues is that there is such a rush to go draft quarterback that, you know, the other skill position players really fall down the board. Now, Scott Fishbowl is going to be a little bit different. Tight ends are also going to get a boost, you know, but that means, you know, you can see running backs and elite wide receivers that are generally going round one, round two, falling into round three, round four, round five, because there's such a rush to take advantage of those premium plays. Yeah. I mean, I, I do get concerned with, especially with the guys, the guys you mentioned, Josh Allen and Lamar Jackson, just because we've seen them have super inaccurate seasons. And we've also seen these teams are kind of at the the peak of, how do I say, the, the their team as an overall, which, you know, there's a little concern there with Mahomes where the best quarterbacks are quarterbacks that are kind of on the upswing where they need to lean heavily onto the quarterback. The defense isn't great. You know, like Dak Prescott, for instance, is one. Sometimes we see these guys when the defense gets better, the running game gets better. The offense doesn't need to go as hard to stomp on these other teams. I mean, like some teams are going to be beating up the the Texans, the Lions, you know, by double digit points and it's going to be early. So I do get concerned that with a team like the Ravens where they're super run heavy, they've got things kind of figured out. They're just kind of trying to get to the playoffs without a lot of injuries so that they can take a stab at it that, you know, they're not going to be, you know, battling these like 40, 50 point games. And, you know, there's not going to be a situation where Lamar Jackson needs to go crazy and put the team on his back. So, you know, I'm a little hesitant with some of these guys. I'm like, like I said, I really like guys like, Dak Prescott, Russell Wilson, where they're going to have their back against the ropes like Muhammad Ali just left and right, you know, Lockett, DK. That That's kind of where I'm interested. So as far as the quarterback strategy goes, I do like to get a guy early. I like to get a guy who, in the in the beginning who has a high floor and also a, a crazy ceiling. You know, Kyler Murray, I do like, like those type guys. Who, what, what are you, are you doing? Get, what are you feeling on Herbert? What's your, what's your feelings on him this year? Herbert, I like. I mean, he's going, I, like, the thing is where I'm picking at 10, I have... 10 guys ranked and Herbert is right there at the line. You know what I mean? Like if the exact nine guys go before I pick, I'll take Herbert in the first round, you know, and I'll definitely take him in the second round. It's just, again, a little bit unproven guy. Um, it's it's one of the things that we see in baseball, right? Where they have the sophomore slump, where you get these guys, they come out scorching 
and then all of a sudden there's tape on them and you know all the other scouts and pitchers are like oh you know what i saw a little something here where you know when he's uh, handing the ball off he puts his left foot back a little bit farther than his right foot then when he's you know dropping back for a pass and then all of a sudden everyone sees that or you know like uh, sean mcveigh with jerry goff people find out that all the calls are coming through the headset and <laughs> right. that, you know defenses in the first year it works great then the next year defenses are waiting to get information and all of a sudden it's not working so good. You know, it's same thing with, you know, you look at some of the mobile quarterbacks where they have an amazing first year and then teams are like, Oh yeah, well these are the plays they like to run. So watch out for that. And they take a step back. It happens in baseball all the time where a guy, you know, he's, he's crushing the ball and all of a sudden he faces a guy who's got a really nice sinker or something. And you find out that he can't hit that pitch. Mm -hmm. And now he goes, you know, it's, it's the correction. And that I get scared a little bit with, with second year quarterbacks that it's like, now everyone's seen a whole year. They got the tape. There could be a correction. That's the only, only thing I'm scared of because he looked good on tape, you know, but I'm also not sitting there looking to see, you know, if he wipes his hand on his towel, when he's going right. to throw it, you know what I mean? So right. it's, yeah. it's those, it's crazy like that in this league, you know, so it's something to think about. And, you know, and that's why for me, I would love him as my second quarterback if there was some way to make it happen, but I like somebody a little safer in my first. What are you, what are you doing for your second quarterback? Yeah. Like what's your plan? So, I mean, so I, I, so I'm gathering you're definitely taking quarterback with your first or second pick then that's that's for, for sure where you're going uh with this draft right well not, not necessarily i don't want to give away my whole strategy sure i have a player that i that i would really like to get and if things go a certain way i'm willing to wait and take my first quarterback at the third round reversal which is super scary okay. but if i do that if i wait and take my quarterback at the third the reversal there then i'm most likely going to be taking two viable quarterbacks with upcoming picks and have three solid quarterbacks on my roster because you need to and and i just want to take risk out of the equation so that's kind of where i'm at with my second yeah. just to skip ahead but yeah um, so that's so that's how i was initially approaching this as well picking 12 was i was getting a feeling of of using that third round reversal as my as my quarterback pick um be and kind of capitalizing on what i think is going to be a rush to get top end quarterbacks in the first couple rounds from teams and allowing those top end skill position players then to fall back to me, you know, it, you know, so that, that was kind of what I was taking a look at with my first and second picks. You know, I hadn't, you know, last year, like I said, I, I went and took elite tight ends early. I grabbed Waller and I grabbed Andrews. I, I think I would certainly be interested to see where tight ends fall in this draft and here. You know, we're seeing Travis Kelsey and Superflex. you know, with an average ADP of around seven, do you think he goes top five in 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 a tight end premium? Like where like how does the board shift in this format for you? You're the tight end whisperer, you know. Like where where do some of these top tight ends fit for you now in, in the drafts? I, I'm expecting like so with my rankings, I'm expecting Travis Kelsey to be gone. I'm kind of banking on it because I personally, you know me, I yeah. spend so much time looking at these tight ends that it would almost be. A, it would almost be doing myself a disservice to take a tight end in the first round. Although in this league last year, I ended up starting multiple tight ends, multiple weeks. You know, I had because you got to remember how how deep this league is. So guy, the tight end, and it's tight end premium. So a guy like Jimmy Graham, for instance, I drafted Jimmy Graham. He finished ahead of a number of guys that you that you wouldn't normally expect. Hold on, I have it here. I think it's actually in the Scott Fishbowl article. But the uh, here I had I had Graham as well, thanks to you. My three tight ends last year were Graham, Andrews, and Waller. So, right. So it's like you have these guys that that normally you would think that they're not viable, but 
they end up being, you know, Graham was the top 64 player, which if you have, you know, 12 teams starting 11 players, that's over 100. So Graham is, Graham's a guy that when he was like playing well in the beginning of the season, he was starting every single week on the teams he was on. I had Graham, I had Andrews, I had uh, Gusecki. All these guys were starting for my team every week because, you know, they're, you know, it's like if you think about a regular player, five catches for 50 yards and three, you know, three first downs for uh, a normal guy is why well, it's nine points for a tight end. Every one of those is worth a full point. So we're talking about, you know, 12, 13, 14 points. You know what I mean? So it's like, it's, if you are between a slot guy and a tight end in this format, I go tight end every time. So I think that Travis Kelsey's probably going to go in with the first. And I think one of Kittle or Waller or in most, in most leagues is going to go in the first two. Because people look at that advantage with the extra points, and I mean it's pretty glaring. I think Kelsey was the one of the if he was one of if not the top scoring player in this, or he was scored more than any wide receiver last year. He scored more than Devontae Adams. I think Alvin Kamara might have scored more points than him in the Scott Fishbowl, but Kelsey was up there. Yeah, for sure. And like I said, that's that's sort of the uh, things to take into account with this league is just the difference in scoring and how it impacts. Another thing that is is worth noting is the fact that this is a slow draft. And as the weeks and days kind of go by, things could change draft strategies on a dime. You know, last year during this draft, I took Ray most. And then all of a sudden there was rumors of him requesting a trade, you know, trying to get out of San Francisco. And it was almost like, all right, well, where where is that happening now? And then you see you know, someone like a Jeff Wilson or it was Jarek McKinnon, you know, all of a sudden, like they get snagged, people are kind of hopping up and paying attention to the news of these slow drafts. So that's that's also a little bit of a strategy sort of to pay attention to. It's not really a strategy, I guess it's necessarily uh, luck of the draw almost. If it's your time on the clock and some, you know, breaking news hit, someone's traded, someone's signed, you know, you're on the clock and Zach Ertz gets dealt somewhere and now Goddard's available, like you're going to automatically bump him up your boards and then he's somebody that you're going to maybe have at a value as opposed to where you would you would normally be looking to draft him if someone like Ertz is still on the team so you know just different different things to take into account when you're on the in the Scott Fishbowl you know I, I again my general strategy has been to wait on the quarterback take the skill position players that fall down the board you know I I kind of buy into your system of, of there are tight ends later you know because they get that boost with the full point PPR you know that that there's increased value for them and you mentioned you know Jimmy Graham last year has one without obviously giving away the entire book here coop you know can you give us a sleeper tight end that you're looking at again not to not to spoil all of the strategy for you but is there someone particularly that you're looking at yeah, I mean the Scott Fish Bowl is coming up, so I know they're 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 sharps out there are listening. But you know, it, when it's an industry draft, everyone kind of has access to everyone's rankings. You know what I mean? Like last year, I was drafting with Sean Siegel, who basically invented zero RB. You know what I mean? So I knew he's not taking an RB early. It's like you know he didn't draft one till the eleventh round. I think Carry On Johnson was his first one, but he actually. He did pretty well. He took James Robinson, which bailed him out there. But so you kind of know what people are going to do. Like if I tell some people guys I like, I don't think it's going to come back to really bite me in the Scott Fishbowl. So, you know, I'm looking for guys that have top two upside on their team. So I'm looking at a lot of people say that Alvin Kamara was kind of a Drew Brees' baby. You know, he was the one that was, you know, feeding the ball to Kamara, giving him over 100 targets, which is a lot more rare for running backs than you think. There's only been a handful of guys that have done it. CMC, Larry Centers, and, you know, Matt Forte, like, and I guess J.D. McKissick, but, like, not a whole lot of guys. So if those targets are kind of being siphoned away from Kamara, I think that Adam Trotman 
could step into a big role this year. They, the only thing that was holding him back last year was, was Jerry Cook. But now Jerry Cook is gone. He's with the Chargers. So it's kind of like, you know, I look at the Bears with Jimmy Graham and Cole Komet. If Jimmy Graham was gone, I would like Cole Komet on this level, but he's not. I still like Cole Komet. Like, he's not a bad pick. But Adam Trotman is kind of in that catbird seat now. So he's a guy that I'm definitely looking at once you get into those rounds of the draft. You know, when you get really deep into the draft, now I'm just looking for guys that are the third target on their team. And if one of the top two targets goes down, they're kind of the obvious guy to take a step forward. So I'll look at, like, for instance, uh, Gerald Everett, right? Gerald Everett comes over from the Rams. Their passing coordinator comes over from the Rams. His name escapes me right now. Waldron, I think his name is. Yeah. He, yeah. So Waldron was the passing coordinator for the Rams. Now he's the offensive coordinator for the Seahawks. And one of the first things they do is say, hey, let's let's go get Gerald Everett. I know this guy. I know he can catch the football. I know we want to keep Russ happy, get him guys that catch the ball. It's basically, you know, you basically have DK Metcalf, Tyler Lockett, Everett at tight end, and then you have a rookie, Dwayne Eskridge, to potentially play uh, some slot. They lost David Moore, who was actually a pretty decent guy. If you look at the Seahawks, they actually ran the they had the seventh most total snaps of any uh, player of any team of tight ends playing wide receiver. So basically, uh, you look at you know teams like the Chiefs, the the Bears, the the Eagles. Those guys were all in the top five. Right after that was the combination of Greg Olson, Jacob Hollister, and Will Disley all playing some some slot, some out wide. I think Everett right away is going to get some snaps at wide receiver and you know at the slot and out wide and i think you know russell wilson can throw the ball to you know he could probably throw the ball to one of us in the end zone if he scrambles around long enough you know what i mean so i think that everett's going to be a guy that scores touchdowns he's going to be a guy that gets a modest amount of receptions and if one of those guys get hurt now he has legitimate top five upside at tight end and as we talked about the scott fishbowl you don't even need to be a top five tight end you don't even need to be a top 10 if you're a top 15 tight end then you're starting in pretty much every league because of that tight end premium so, you know, that's a couple right there. Trotman, Everett, I like. Cole Komet, I like. You know, without giving away everything that's in the bag. Those are guys that <laughs> I think you would look for in this format and, you know, in best ball and regular leagues as well. I think I'm just going to be overexposed to Dan Arnold. I've already, I'm just, I've, I've <laughs> talked about him too much. I'm committed. I'm pot committed to some Dan Arnold in the late rounds there. Uh, and you're right. It's funny you Russ- mentioned Arnold because he was the, the Panthers were actually sixth on of that list. So the Seahawks were seventh. The Panthers were sixth. So yeah. they're right there in terms of, you know. Love it. Yeah. Wide receiver rest on. You mentioned Russell Wilson probably throwing touchdowns to you or I in the end zone. Uh, I can't tell you many, how many times in DFS I had Metcalf and Lockett just to watch David Moore haul in a touchdown pass. So, you know, ever so frustrating when the touchdowns go in, in the opposite direction there. Just a couple more guys that I want to get your opinions on, you know, specific to this format, but, you know, just some maybe some recent news that we're sort of seeing or, or Guys that we're seeing names begin to trend around, you know, Twitter uh, more more than anything. But I've seen some ADPs or some rankings now where in PPR formats, Austin Eckler is up there as a top five running back. You know, this again is a half PPR format for you. But, you know, what do you feel about Austin Eckler this year with the Chargers? So I can see like... With any of these guys, there are so many arguments for either side of it. You know what I mean? I can I know all the arguments in favor and a lot of the ones against, and I, I buy a lot of the ones in favor. The thing about it is I already have a profile of what I want with a top five pick the first half of 
my my first round, which is going to be guys that are I know they're going to be running the ball on the ground. I know they're going to be catching passes, and I know the team's going to be pretty good. They're going to be a focal point of the offense. So for me, I don't have them top five. I have guys like CM Saquon, Dalvin, Kamara, Zeke. Like those guys have to go first for me. I will take Eckler, especially in any PPR format, ahead of guys like Derrick Henry. Surprisingly, I. I He's only he's never caught 20 passes in a season. So for me, it terrifies me that he could have a season where he has 1,300 yards and 13 touchdowns, which is an amazing season, and 25 catches, which would be his career high, and he wouldn't be a top five, six running back in any PPR because you need to score you know 250 plus points. You he really needs to lead the league in yards or touchdowns to be worth his ADP. So for me, you know, I will take guys like Eckler first. And the pros for Eckler, you know, there's a lot of info out there on it. But I think the big thing that people might not realize is that Joe Lombardi, right, Vince Lombardi's grandson, he played with the Saints or he was a coach with the Saints for a long time, you know, came up under Peyton, the whole idea of, you know, throwing to Kamara, throwing to the running back. He went to the Lions and tried to use that offense there. It was the same offense. These guys, you know, they have their playbook. They might change it up a little bit, but they're, you know, usually when you bring a guy in, you want him to do what he did before. You want him to do it for your team, you know? So they bring him in. They struggle mightily. But if you go and look at those Lions teams, they actually threw 150 total passes to the running backs. They were spread out a little bit because, you know, guys like Reggie Bush couldn't stay healthy. And, you know, it was like George Bell and stuff. But, I mean, you look at the numbers, 150 targets to the running backs. So he comes in to an off- a team where they say, hey, we've got this running back that's great at catching passes. Let's go out and get this guy that's great at dialing up passes to the running back. So for me, like, he's definitely got a safe floor as long as he doesn't get hurt, you know. Another back, and this is sort of just feeding into you a little bit here because I know you've written about it already, but J.K. Dobbins is someone that I'm seeing a lot of people share screenshots of and feeling you know, pretty happy with their drafts, You know, having Dobbins as like an RB2 in their team. You've been tweeting a bunch about Gus Edwards. Right now <laughs> in Superflex Leagues, Edwards is going about 100 picks later than when Dobbins is going. You know, you get Dobbins around pick 40, 45. Edwards is going around pick 140 in Superflex Leagues, you know, what is it? Is it is it necessarily something that you're against J.K. Dobbins, or is it just more that you're for Gus Edwards this year? What's funny is that I'm not against J.K. Dobbins for Gus Edwards, any of that. I'm kind of against Greg Roman. So the coordinator for this team has essentially never been top 26 in pass attempts in the last, like, five, six teams he's coached. That goes all the way back through the Bills to the 49ers. And I actually tweeted something a little while back. If you go through my timeline, search for Coupe Fiasco, Frank Gore, you can pull up where Greg Roman was the coach for four years for the 49ers. And Frank Gore went from averaging over 50 receptions a season, not targets, receptions, down to averaging about 16. Because he, you know, he doesn't throw the ball a lot. He doesn't like throwing it to the running backs. So that's the big concern. I mean, I know they're kind of touting that they're going to try and throw the ball more. But, I mean, J.K. Dobbins just did not catch passes. I mean, the thing is, Dobbins, and this is why people love him so much, is you look at the tape, there's no question that the guy is an explosive runner. He's crazy fast. He can hit home runs at any moment, which makes him a great best ball pick. But in a league we have to start your lineup, he makes me a little nervous because you look at uh, Gus Edwards and uh, Lamar Jackson combining for over 70 carries on third and fourth and short, and, and J.K. Dobbins having 10. You know, you look at, and, you know, Gus Edwards is 238 pounds you know the guy's a tank lamar jackson has a neck like a cement mixer like these guys they're going to be the ones pounding the ball in when it gets to the goal line gets to those situations 
And, you know, last season on the whole, J.K. Dobbins only scored two, 10 more points than Gus Edwards on the entire Scott Fishbowl season. I mean, that's got to be something that's in the back of your mind when you think about the, what first downs are worth extra points in this league. You know, it's only half point PPR, so Gus Edwards doesn't hurt. I'm almost more willing to take Gus Edwards at his ADP than I am Dobbins at his in this format, you know? Yeah, no, for sure. And like I said, I was... I was kind of buying into a lot of that anyways. And then you just sort of, you know, a little confirmation bias with everything that you've been putting out there. I'm like, yeah, you know, Edwards, Edwards is unbelievable. And I couldn't believe the amount of the volume that that offense was able to support, you know, two years ago and came to the running game, you know, when they, when they had Ingram and, and Edwards back there. And then last year, you know, with Dobbins and Ingram for a little bit and Edwards, the last running back that I've seen starting to float around my Twitter timeline and probably yours as well. Is Clyde Edwards Alaire. Now, last year, when Damian Williams sat the season out, all of a sudden, CEH had his ADP jump, you know, into the first round. One of the bigger busts had his ADP because of of how overdrafted that he ended up being as a rookie and how that offense formed out. But now you're getting him again, you know, two, three rounds later than that, you know, going in that third, you know, third round for most in average ADP right now. You know, are you buying a bounce back from CEH or do you think that that offense is just not – conducive i guess to someone like him being successful yeah i mean we've we made it pretty far in this podcast without dropping any uh, cliches or any common you know fantasy football buzzwords but i guess i gotta drop one here man post hype sleeper (laughs) Clyde edwards hair and i think it's mainly because of you know what ended up happening as a whole last year i think he struggled a little bit with pass blocking which is why they brought in Le'Veon bell why you know daryl williams played a little bit more on pass games in fact i know he did because i looked up his pass blocking grades on pro football focus and in the beginning part of the season they were atrocious they kind of leveled out a little bit uh, but he still was outside the top i think it was outside the top 60 backs which means i mean you know there's 140 backs in the league so he didn't rank 142nd like jonathan taylor did but you know if you really think about a ranking of 60 there's 32 teams, which means pretty much every team's got two guys that are better at pass blocking than you are. And, you know, that's a humongous liability, especially when the franchise is Patrick Mahomes. You know, so for them, they look at it and say, okay, this guy's letting our quarterback get hit. He's the franchise. We can't risk that. So for us, even if he's the better, you know, athlete at this point, we need somebody that's going to keep that guy safe. And we're willing to take the law, you know, the little, the hit at, running or the, the, the pass catching versus the blocking. And we saw that with uh, Philip Lindsay, who never figured it out in in Denver. He was always outside the top 120, or I think one year he might have been around 100. And that's what let Royce Freeman play. It wasn't because Royce Freeman was good. We know Royce Freeman's not good. You know, they've already drafted multiple, signed and drafted multiple running backs just to kind of get rid of Royce Freeman. But he was better at pass blocking, and that's what got him on the field. So I think that's what kept CH off the field last year. But when you look at what he did in terms of, you know, yards per attempt, those numbers were good. They were better than James Robinson. They were better than Mike Davis, Miles Gaskin, all these other guys that people are considering around that same spot. So I personally have CH, CH probably a lot higher than most people. And I'll probably own him in a lot of leagues, potentially even the Scott Fishbowl, just because I'm a big fan of the idea that a rising tide lifts all boats for running back, right? You look at like you and me are Patriots fans, right? When we watched LeGarrette Blunt in 2016, did he score 18 touchdowns because he, he was awesome? Or did he score 18 touchdowns because we were? The Patriots were certainly awesome. He had some awesome runs, but he was the the fact that Tom Brady was driving them down the field and wearing out defenses and they get in the red zone. There was no stopping LeGarrette Blunt to that point. Exactly. Yeah, he had some cool hurdles and stuff. And obviously there's this, you know, 
it's a skill to be able to plunge the ball into the end zone from three yards out and know that, you know, if they give you two, two times, you're definitely going to get in there eventually. So there's no taking that away from him, but he wasn't the RB six or whatever it was because he's just flat out amazing. Aaron Jones has scored 30 touchdowns in his last 30 games. I know he's a very good player, but if you had Jordan Love in there instead of Aaron Jones, I mean, instead of Aaron Rodgers, I don't think he does score 30 touchdowns. I think that's a kind of a good offense leads to scoring, which leads mm-hmm. to running back scoring, right? You know, I mean, a lot of these teams like that are actually getting in the red zone. If, you know, if there's a pass interference in the end, in the end zone, who gets that touchdown? For the Chiefs, the only way to stop some of these guys is just grab them, you know? So hopefully for Hilaire's sake, people kind of figure out that little shovel pass thing and, and stop that. And he, he scores some more touchdowns. But I think that, you know, there's very few other guys that are poised to be a, you know, a majority touch back in an offense that good. And I think that take the discount while you can. Yeah, I like that a lot. I, I agree with you. Again, he's the name that's been floating around uh, and trending. Uh, a conversation that I had with our own Justin Fensterman the other day was surrounding David Montgomery and he, how he finished the year is just an absolute workhorse for the Bears, you know, both involved in the passing game, running the football. But, you know, Tariq Cohen was injured. You know, they, they didn't have him to come on the field in third downs and have play that role. And then this offseason, Damian Williams signed in Chicago. You know, what's your what's your opinion of, of Montgomery this season with, with the Bears? Are you expecting uh, Nagy to finally let him be what we saw him be at the end of last year? Or are we going to go back to, outside of, you know, Tariq Cohen's out there, split carries now with, with Damian Williams? Yeah, you know, I'm glad you brought this up because it kind of ties into what we just talked about, which is that when you bring a guy in, you bring him in to run the offense that you watched him use elsewhere. And you, you're like, hey, I like what you did there. I want you to bring it in here. You know, if the Cardinals signed Cliff Kingsbury and he was like, yeah, you know, I'm not going to run that air raid thing. I'm going to do something different. They'd be pissed. They'd be like, no, we signed you to do the air raid thing, you know. So with Matt Nagy, they saw what the Chiefs were doing. They said, we like that. We're going to bring you in here. Ryan Pace is the GM. He's going to do what you need him to do to get the players that you need for your offense, right? So if you look at what the Chiefs typically do for all these years, they've used a one running back type set, one versatile running back. You know, you start with Kareem Hunt. He Kareem Hunt came in when another guy got hurt, and then he became good. And then Damian Williams came in when he got hurt. He was good. Uh, very briefly there, Spencer Ware played a game, and he was great. You know what I mean? Like, And then he got hurt. It's like it's that they want to do a one-back system. You know, Nagy gave Jordan Howard a chance to catch the football. He couldn't do it. He tra- They traded Nor- Jordan Howard. They The year that they took Dave Montgomery, they had no draft picks because they traded him all for Khalil Mack. That's what people kind of forget is that David Montgomery was a third round pick, but they had no first round, no second round pick. And they traded up to get David Montgomery. He was the first player that they took in the draft. So I think that it's been a long time coming that they want him to be a feature back there. You know, obviously with last year was the perfect storm. I don't expect it to be the way it was at the end of last year, because when you have a Tariq Cohen, you're going to use him a little bit. You know what I mean? You're not going to just, you know, force one guy and never use the other guy. But I think, David Montgomery kind of showed that he can do it all. And having a guy out there keeps the defense honest like that when you have a balance where now now when Montgomery's out there, defenses aren't thinking, oh, it's a run because Montgomery's out there, but if Cohen comes out, it's a pass. Now they're now they're remembering, oh yeah, this guy last year, he could catch, he could run, he could do it all. And then when Terry Cohen goes in there, that's when they might think, oh, it's it's probably a pass. And then you pull a draw play or something on him. But I think that he's gonna get plenty of snaps and 
Dave Montgomery's a guy that I'll take him at ADP. I'm not going crazy reaching for him, but you know, it all depends on the people in your league because the, I know, as you've seen, the opinions are so polarizing. Some people are so big and some people are so down on them. You know, it's, it only takes one guy to reach for a guy for him to go, you know? So if you end up in the one league with the David Montgomery guy, let him take him. If he slides, then I say, I say, why not? You know? Yeah, let, let me give you a scenario because these two guys have uh, nearly identical ADPs right now, and I know that you're high on this other running back as well. You can take either David Montgomery or Chris Carson if you're on the clock. Man, that is a that is a crazy one. I mean, if if I have to take one of them, I'm taking Chris Carson, and I think it's because the Tariq Cohen factor. Obviously, we know how good he is. If anyone doubts how good Tariq Cohen is, look up the clip of him doing a backflip and catching two footballs at the same time that's <laughs> that's real that's i thought that was fake i thought that was like a gatorade commercial when i first saw <laughs> yeah. it that's real that's real yeah that's like a gif it's crazy you know i'll tweet it out when this podcast drops but so when you look at what happened with chris carson is i was against him you know that you, we, you and me have been talking mm-hmm. football football for years uh, you know i'm like this guy fumbles he's a late round draft guy he doesn't really catch a lot of balls but the thing about it is that you know with drops and fumbles Unless the coach is losing confidence in you, it doesn't matter. You know, because you it, like you could keep getting fed. Like Jimmy Graham dropped 15 balls. They didn't go away from him, you know, and he was the best tight end in the league the very next year. It's like, unless the team loses confidence in you, then you're fine. And with Chris Carson, they showed the ultimate confidence by not only did they bring him back, but they added the third, the dreaded third void year to his contract, which means he can't get franchise tagged. It also spreads that cap out over that time period so they could give him more money while still being under the cap three years from now it's basically a mortgage where three years from now you're kind of you're kind of in trouble you know but that's why teams don't like using it but they used it to bring Carson back they didn't pick up their fifth year option on Rashad Penny I think that Russell Wilson probably is getting to the point where he's not scrambling as much you know that's the concern with running backs is you know the, if the quarterback runs he's less willing to dump it off but I think now if they're standing next to each other I think Russell realizes that you know what might as well pitch it to him, let him run, and then next play I'll be fresh to throw it. Because when the quarterback runs, that people forget that when you run for 30 yards as a quarterback, you're you're gassed, man. The eight eight and the ten seconds of dead sprint is brutal, man. So the very next play, teams are they're coming after you, you know, and they're expecting the run. It's just better off to get the ball in someone else's hands. And Carson actually last year was on pace for his career high in targets. I think he actually had the most catches he's ever had, even though he got hurt. So Carson, for me, is going to be on a lot of my teams, more than I've ever had, because, again, I wasn't a Carson guy. I traded him away in Dynasty Leagues. But, you know, you can't argue with a player coach like Pete Carroll when he says, this is our guy, and he said, this. you know, at this point, we know that's his guy. Yeah, I, I agree with you 100% there. And like you said, it's, you know, Bill Belichick guys fumble. They don't touch the ball again all game. And Chris Carson, you, he's out there on the next snap. So they, like, might, they might not touch the ball again in their life. It's true. Yeah, it's true. Like, Whatever happened to Jonas Gray. Jonas Gray. Man. He scored four touchdowns against the Colts. And I think he missed an alarm or something. Yeah. And he was just dying. His car broke. His car got towed. He missed the meeting. He literally never, like, took a step. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He was just <laughs> toast, man. Yeah. yeah I, I, think the, I think the worst part about it, I think he, I think – Jonas Gray went on the because he got benched the following week and he went on the radio like Toucher and Rich show and he was like yeah I missed my alarm and Belichick was like you don't ever tell anybody why you got benched <laughs> like you're done. 
wild. Coop, any any final thoughts here as we wrap up this this episode? Obviously, again, we got Scott Fish coming up, but the next time we record, we'll be deep into our Scott Fish Bowl draft. So obviously, we'll have a little bit to talk about there as the drafts go on. But any thoughts wrapping up, heading into Fourth of July weekend here? Yeah, I mean, just one last thought because we didn't really get into wide receivers, you know, for Scott Fishbowl. But when you're in, and this goes for any league that's really deep where there's a ton of flexes, right? And you have to make decisions on who to start. That's the key. If you have to start three wide receivers and then there's two or three flexes and you have to pick five guys and you want to be sure those guys score points, the big thing to look at is look for the teams that have two wide receivers that have super high consolidation of snap and target share, you know, teams that use like fullbacks or tight ends, right? And they just have two wide receivers. So like if you look at the Minnesota Vikings with Thielen and Jefferson, there's nobody else there. So it's like with those two guys, you can be confident in their floor. Same with like Metcalf and Tyler Lockett, Odell Beckham and Jarvis Landry. Like there's no third wide receiver guesswork, which you run into issues with that with like a team like the the Cardinals, for instance. Like who is going to be the the guy or the next two guys after DeAndre Hopkins? You know, like at the Steelers, who is going to be the guy? You know, who are the, the two top guys going to be? It's like every week it could be a headache. So, you know, that, I mean, before we go, what are your thoughts on Arizona? I mean, which way which way are you leaning there after Hopkins? I mean, we 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 obviously had this convo. I don't really know. I mean, you you've told me you think Christian Carr is going to move into the slot. If he does move into the slot, then I'm buying in on that. You know, I think you know they did add other. You know, I don't I don't believe in AJ Green. I know we got like the hundred targets last year, but he didn't do anything with them. Mm-hmm. You know, a better quarterback in Kyler Murray, maybe if there's you know less pressure on Green to perform. Maybe, you know, they drafted more, but he's, you know, he's five, seven. I know, I know he's fast, but like, you know, those, those guys, I don't know. Like, I just worry about short, you know, that size at that speed. Like, I don't know where they fit in the league. You know, how about, you know, are they gadget guys more? Are they, they get in space, you know, this, I, I, so it's hard for me to trust that. So, you know, if Kirk can stay healthy, like he's at least shown the ability to be a productive secondary option in that offense. But I've I've said all along, like nobody's taking away 160 targets from DeAndre Hopkins. So like, you know, when I look at that offense and I look at who's the number two, it's it's probably Kirk, but I don't even know if I really want it still. Right, exactly. Like I I was one that's saying to you that Kirk, I've been saying to my followers, and then just this week I tweeted out some AJ Green stats and ever my fo- even my followers are confused. They're like, I thought we liked Kirk. And I'm like, man, I don't know who we like, dude. Like we like Hopkins. I like taking both Kirk and Green late in best balls, but you're it's just crazy. We don't know what they're gonna do. Like Rondell Moore could be a field stretcher, or he could be because he's so fast, or he could be a slot guy because he's inside and he's a kind of a smaller, quicker guy. I mean, maybe they'll mix and match all over the place, but yeah, it's kind of a mess. And that's kind of where I'm getting at is that like when you're looking for guys that you can count on every week and start them every week, like Jarvis Landry, you know, you can count on him. And especially in a league where, you know, 12 teams, 11 starters, you know, that's a hundred and some players. Jarvis Landry is going to be a quality flex play no matter what in every week, you know? So that's something to think about. Like those type guys where it's like, you know, even if you don't love Thielen's ceiling, he's going to be a contributor on a level that will be in your lineup every single week in the Scottish Bowl, you know? So. A hundred percent there. So 
Coop, you know, we got a lot more to get to, obviously, in the coming weeks. We're closing in. You know, it's got Fishbowl, the regular fantasy football. You know, redraft season is basically quickly upon us once we get these uh, games in camp going on and practice that we can watch. But again, we'll have more to follow. You can always get on Coop on Twitter at Coop if you have just dropped the Dynasty Cash Outs article today that you can go out. Uh, and check out he's got draft guide articles coming out forever it seems like so be sure to hit him out there you can get me on twitter at jampemba777 we're always in our discord there to answer channels answer questions for you as well so don't be afraid to hit us up we're always welcoming the conversation but for now we will catch you guys later